0: Hi, this is Jerry DiPiano. I'm here with Dr. Deborah Saltman and you are listening to Love Mia Vita. Today's episode is on sleep and or sleeplessness.
1: Hi, Deb. Hi, Jerry. Yeah, well today let's have a chat after we follow up on the last one about treatments and, and, and therapies and things people can do at home to help themselves get the kind of sleep that they'd like to have.
0: Well, we know that sleep is an epidemic, and we discussed that during our last podcast. And if we don't provide a solution, then we have missed the mark. And that's what we're here to do. At Fempharma, we look at ways in which to help you to identify opportunities to address whatever symptoms you may be experiencing with really good, scientific, incredible evidence. Hi, welcome to Love Me Vita podcast, the podcast Two Women for Women. I'm Jerry DiPiano, women's healthcare advocate and founder of Fempharma. I'm joined by Dr. Deborah Saltman, physician, researcher, the thinker,
1: and medical director. Thanks, Jerry. I'm really proud to be a part of Fempharma's commitment to keeping women healthy and safe and this series of podcasts.
0: Together, we're providing solutions for women who care about living their best lives at any age. As trailblazers, we aim to break down the myths and provide the truths about everything women want and care about. Imagine that. We asked women what they want, and we're about to deliver it. By the way, we hope to entertain you, and that's no BS. Over the coming months, We'll be speaking with experts about topics that matter, mental and physical well-being, and what more could be done. We will push our experts to give you answers that are real. So send us your questions, and here's to loving our lives. So Deb, let's start with pharmacology because as we think about what has been done with the pharmacology to deal with sleep, some of the agents that are prescription agents have only been studied in men. And we do know that these drugs are not metabolized in the same way in women as they are in men. And we've seen evidence of that more recently when the FDA particularly came down hard on, I won't mention the brand name, but a particular product that women were using to help with insomnia. And they were literally overdosed. And that had an impact on their safety. Uh, There were accidents, there were women sleepwalking, eating, getting up in the middle of the night and eating. The bottom line is that the FDA did suggest that women were being overdosed. These products are also very habit-forming. So that women and men, but we're speaking to women primarily, women may develop addiction to these products as they increase their tolerance to the medications. So they will stop working at a period of time. And I'm sure as a physician you've seen this in your own experience.
1: Well, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I think we don't understand how metabolism works differently in men and women. But what we do know is women metabolize more drugs in their liver and then metabolize more drugs in the kidney. So it depends on the kind of drug you're having. So if you're having a drug that is in fat, it will be metabolized in the liver. If it's kind of in electrolytes and salts, it will be metabolized in the kidney. And because the brain is very specialized, it's got a barrier called the blood-brain barrier. And that only lets certain products in it and they're products that like fat. So quite often, the drugs that women are sensitive to get to the brain quite, quite frequently in higher doses. The other thing is lots of women are on the oral contraceptive or hormone replacement therapy, and that competes for metabolism in the liver. So if you've got the two models competing, the molecules competing, and one of them's working, one of them is going to stay around longer till it gets metabolized and lost. So there's a salient feature for women who are on HRT, orally, or on taking uh, oral contraceptives, those kind of medications, they're going to compete with your sleeping tablets and they're going to extend probably the life of your sleeping tablet. But let's have a think first about why people take a sleeping tablet. I mean, the first reason is we lie around in our beds at night, restless. We get nervous, we start tensing up our legs. As women, you know, we get cramps at night. All those things kind of happen. We think about the day and time moves on and time turns from Seconds which seem like hours, to minutes, which seem like years, and then we are awake. So there's this tension component, and for lots of women, the objective is to get to sleep. I just want to get to sleep. I don't want to be thinking anymore. I've got to get up early in the morning. I want to get to sleep. And some of these agents are pretty good at getting you to sleep. And the big family, of course, of that is the benzodiazepines and adivan, those kind of things. There are a lot of them, clonazepam. There are a whole range of PAMs and MAMs that put you to sleep. But the important thing to know about them is they are digested through the stomach. So one of the issues there is how long does it take for this tablet to be digested? And most people don't think about going to sleep until they're in bed, when they can't sleep. And usually, That is far too late to think about it. If you've had a meal, it takes between two to four hours to digest the meal, and then you pop the tablet on there, so by the time the tablet is working, it's already four hours into your nervous time trying to get to sleep. So quite often you think, I'll take another one, because I haven't managed to get to sleep yet. I'll take another one, and they take a second one, and lo and behold, both of them work in the morning when you have to wake up, and that's half the problem. So taking any medication to get to sleep has to be timed in the right time. It has to be timed in relation to when your absorption is, when you're going to go to bed, and when you're going to take it. The second thing that you mentioned, which is really very important, is our bodies start getting tolerant of everything. You know, when we do exercise, we've got to disrupt the exercise. When we have a diet, we've got to disrupt the diet. You know, when I wrote my book, that was the most important thing was changing. Our bodies get used to things and we have to keep changing them. So after a while, the body gets used to all these sleeping tablets, and they really don't work except to us. So they are what's called a placebo, uh, and the body really, they're just there as an addictive component, and quite often I've had patients come to me and saying, I need a sleeping tablet, I had one in the hospital when I went for this particular piece of surgery, and it's not working, and I don't want to stop it, can you give me something else in addition? And that's where kind of problems can come about. So in the short term, um, some research that we did oh, about 30 years ago now showed that addiction happens within 10 days of taking a benzodiazepine, and it stops working within five days in the way we want it to, to put us to sleep. So taking these tablets, they're a short term measure, just if you're like, I've really got to get to sleep tonight. But remembering, as you said, if I take it too late, I'm going to be groggy. The next kind of thing that happens is that if you take them regularly on night after night after night, in the beginning, they block the kind of dreaming sleep you need, the REM sleep, which is your dreaming sleep, and they will continue to do that. But the body's very clever and it breaks through, and that's why women have nightmares and sleepwalk on these tablets, because the body is desperately trying to say, I want to do what I want to do. I need to dream the way I dream, not the way this tablet makes me dream. So they're kind of complex. You know, it's not a simple arrangement to try to get to sleep with drugs to help us. So the, uh, well,
0: I'll tell you a humorous story, um, although I'm sure it wasn't funny for the person that was experiencing it, Uh, using a particular sleep aid. um, This individual uh, was uh, found sleepwalking in her kitchen, and at that point uh, she went into her refrigerator and ate a jar of pickles. She hated pickles, but she was found eating a jar of pickles at 1.45 in the morning so these are this is just one of many stories um, it It wasn't very humorous uh, to the person that actually experienced this problem, but it is indicative of what happens when you use some of these sleep aids. they haven't been studied adequately in the in the female population, and so we're finding that women in particular. Um, are addicted to these medications and still suffering from sleeplessness. We also think about over-the-counter medications and we we must um, put a little bit of a a warning on some of the -the over-the-counter medications because you need to pay attention to what the ingredients are in the -the over-the-counter medication and what the recommendations are for dose and dosage frequency. If you look at some of the antihistamines like Benadryl, and I will use the the name Benadryl because many women will use these antihistamines to encourage sleep, those may be equally addicting and they may also um, have other untoward side effects and adverse events. There's even some suggestion that potentially they would increase the risk for dementia in individuals who frequently use them. So just because a medication is over-the-counter doesn't mean that uh, a woman should stop paying attention to the potential side effects and or the long-term impact of their use.
1: So, so the, the issue... Um, it's very interesting that you mentioned, mentioned the antihistamines, Jerry, because the point about the antihistamines is they don't put you to sleep. They make you drowsy. So as before we were talking about benzodiazepines, which actually turn on the sleep, the antihistamines make you drowsy. Now in a busy day that can be terrible, and in the morning that can be terrible to be drowsy. The reason that drowsiness is good is because it takes away the anxiety of trying to get to sleep, and quite often you don't need a medication to take the anxiety if you work out several rules. The first one is as you get older you need less sleep. Your body needs to rest, and so meditation and relaxation in bed are pretty important. That's number one. It decreases, and it decreases from young adolescents and kids who need ten, eight, six hours to adults who need between four and six hours sleep a night. And if you only need four to six hours, you've got to be thinking what you're doing for the rest of the time. In summer, it's different because the sun comes up and you can be up and doing things. But in winter, those long nights, you have to think about how how are you going to relax my body? So relaxation helps with drowsiness. Sometimes the tension's in the jaw and in the mouth, and that's a problem as well. So releasing jaw tension, making sure you check with your denti- uh, dentist that you don't have temporomandibular joint problems because that can give you headaches and tension at night and teeth grinding, so relaxing the tension of that. So there and are a couple as of things. a
0: fine point on um, what you referred to as TMJ for women listening in, if your jaw is clicking, you probably have TMJ. If it's difficult to open and close your jaw, and if you have pain um, at the joint right around your ear, uh, where the, the um, at the, what we call the mandible, so if you, you notice a clicking and you can probably feel it, that's probably TMJ.
1: Yep. So, so, there, so firstly, we've talked about relaxation and versus drowsiness and, and how much sleep you need. Then, even if you do want to take something like an antihistamine because hay fever season and I'm taking a drowsy one to go to sleep, remember that the effects are potentiated or additional. Now, it's beautiful summer weather and some of us like a cold beer or a glass of wine. With, without dinner, now that the world's opening up again, we're seeing our friends, we're going out for drinks, and with an antihistamine, that can potentiate the problem. It's a very dangerous situation having both of them. And particularly if you're a young mum who's driving kids around, you don't want to be doing that. So the antihistamines might be good for drying out, but they're pretty difficult to use if you like to have alcohol as relaxant. Now, we talked about alcohol a little bit last time, but we need to talk about it a lot more. A lot of people use alcohol as a sleep inducer because it does put you to sleep, but we do know that in too high doses, it's a stimulant and you'll wake up really agitated. So once again, it's something that may put you to sleep, but it may not keep you to sleep. So now we can move on to from, I can't get to sleep to the sleep I have is not good. So that's a different issue. So my sleep is poor quality. And when people say poor quality, you want to know what they mean about poor quality sleep. Are they just uncomfortable? Is the bed too hot? Are they wearing too many pyjamas? Is their partner snoring? Um, All these things can make for, is the bed too soft? What's made their sleep uncomfortable? So if the sleep is not comfortable, that can keep you awake or wake you up. So checking your environment out for that as well. Some people have restless legs. They find blankets heavy, light, whatever it is, helpful. Um, Some people have sore necks. And they wake and they need that. I mean, for myself, I'd like to sleep face down, but there's no pillow that allows me to do that because I find that much more comfortable on my back. But uh, but I like I to be around in the morning, so I think I better turn myself over. But uh, <laughs> but the positioning is important. How you sleep with your partner, the, as I said, your snoring versus their snoring, who wakes up. So those are the kind of features. Noise can do that. You know, in these cities now, there's a lot of traffic. There are a lot of uh, night Night seems to be a time when there's a lot of drag racing around these days. At least
0: in your your area. my, My area.
1: So you want to understand that you can use that kind of noise as a kind of meditative thing. I use the sound of the train that goes past us. I hear the beginning of it, and I follow it, follow it, follow it. Follow it, you're coming to sleep with me, follow it until I hear the last part. Start snoring now. (laughs) The last part of the train, and then I pick up the next train. And you can actually use sounds as a meditative activity. So your environment's the next thing if you wake up. The other thing is, lots of us um, have a glass of water next to the bed, some of us have other drinks. Make sure it's not a stimulant next to the bed or too high in acid because the acid content will wake you up. And if you drink too much, water even next to the bed, you will wake up. Our bladders produce a mil a minute. The normal amount they can hold comfortably is 300 mils. That's the normal amount. So 300 mils, if you divide it, that's five hours. So in the, if you drink a glass of water before you go to bed, you're going to wake up five hours later with a full bladder needing to go and have a pee.
0: And we know that women do experience more of what is referred to as nocturia, which means that their bladders tend to get full and they have to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom. So it, women are more likely to experience that problem than their male counterparts. However, um, we know that men who have enlarged prostates may also get up in the middle of the night so if you happen to have a partner who is male then your partner may be getting up in the middle of the night and that may also disrupt your sleep
1: look the sleep diary is pretty important to to find triggers not everyone has a trigger that they can find and you know i think it's a bit like a fitbit you know my wife has a fitbit that she Swears to tell her everything, and and you can get a bit obsessed with all that. We, we're in the technology era. We've all got our phones here. We've all got our Fitbits. So you don't you want to use these instruments as an aid, not as a punishment. So they're trying to tell us when we need to be aware of something is going to disrupt our sleep. Having said that, sleep runs in in fits and spurts. You know. You might get three good night's sleep and then you might have four bad and then three or two. It's not every night is a good night's sleep. and Because we have this ideal idea about weight, we have this ideal idea about sleep, that's not the case. So we have to love, love Mia Vita, love our lives and love our sleep in whatever pattern it is and use the diary just as an aid memoir, not all the time, but to say, has something changed that I have not been aware of? Absolutely. Well, we think about the different ways in which we can
0: address those. Once, once we've sort of taken a mental inventory. Again, you, where the word that uses you know you don't want to use it as a punishment. I, I stopped wearing a Fitbit because I, I, I viewed it as a punishment, um, and mm. instead I do an inventory, and that seems to work for me. It may not work for anyone mm. you know other folks that are listening to this broadcast, but it does help to um, give do an assessment so that perhaps if you're in a period where you're under stress, maybe there's a project at work, maybe your children or your parents are unwell, maybe you're unwell and your sleep is disrupted or you're not you feel that you're not getting good quality of sleep. That that should be taken into consideration. If you've had a move and perhaps mm-hmm. you went from the country where you were listening to uh, the sounds of your, you know, your gurgling pond and the frog outside and you know the, the whispering wind and then you move into a city where you're, there are drag racing, perhaps that's having the impact and how do you work with those? All those things may be important. There are some behavioral therapies though that yep. seem to be effective and we, we discuss a few of those um, in uh, one of our blogs. Mm-hmm. But it it's too. probably worth talking about some of the behavioral therapies that have been observed to, to actually work yeah. effectively.
1: So, so, so the, the basis of behavioral therapy, even for sleep or anything, is if you imagine in your brain you have tram tracks. We're creatures of habit. We go tram track, tram track, we train track, we follow the same road. It's a creature of habit. We carve a pathway in our brain. Now, sometimes the pathway we carve is not a helpful one. And so the idea behind cognitive behavioural therapy is saying, let's recognise the pathways that we've created for ourselves that are less than helpful. And that's one of the things of having a sleep diary. What do we do that's less than helpful? And how can we look at the triggers that start that pathway going and either stop the triggers or offer an alternate trigger to ourselves to make a more healthy pathway? Now, most of the pathways we get that are unhealthy is we blame ourselves. Self-blaming is a huge thing. I don't get to sleep because I had too big a dinner or because I screamed at the kids or because I can't look after my elderly parent anymore, or because whatever the reason is. I didn't do enough exercise. I didn't have enough milk. We usually have a reason that we blame or blame. There's a blame component. And the most important thing in cognitive behavioral therapy, particularly as we have these ingrown as tracks is to say, get rid of self blame. And the first thing to say is, you know, what why, why am I blaming myself? What is the anxiety I have? And to see what the trigger to the anxiety that keeps us awake. So that's the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy. And when I say this, this is what happens to me. So there's a cause and effect. So sometimes it's a good idea, not just a sleep diary, but having a look at the things that agitate us and whether they spill over to the night. Like, when I'm quiet, I remember all those things I didn't do at work or that kind of idea. So really having a look at the triggers and seeing if we can think up alternative strategies to the triggers. Rather than saying, I'm bad or I should do this, thinking about an alternative strategy. And that's the basis of Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. Now some of us can do it on our own, and some of us really need someone to help us with that. And there are lots of experts in varying firms. The Cognitive Behavioural Therapy is just one. There's lots of ways of doing it. You can do it with a friend, with a partner, with a professional. There are online therapies as well that you can use. So there's lots of ways to to improve the self-talk you have to yourself. So we should encourage um, the
0: the listeners to look for some resources that may not be extremely expensive. Again, we, we think about cost and we think about access in that way as well. Um, it should be something that can be explored if you have the opportunity to check check out the resources online.
1: There are lots of resources online. You're right, Jerry, and a lot of them are free, and a lot of them are recommended by you. If you look most people's health insurer will provide them with an app about sleep because sleep is a huge problem. So look at your health insurer, see what apps they provide with you for looking after your sleep and there will be one there and you can test it out. The other important thing to remember is in relation to quality of sleep is quite often we think we haven't had a good night's sleep but then our partner will say, well you're snoring from four o'clock. So sometimes our perception Of what a good night's sleep is, is different from what we have. And there is a new kind of therapy called sleep deprivation. And this particular therapy is about you try to prolong the time until you go to sleep so you can have an understanding of what sleep is again. Because some people. I
0: I use sleep restriction therapy and mm -hmm. it actually has worked for me. And what I mean by that is there's a point where. <clears throat> after dinner and reading and so forth, I was exhausted, so I'd hop into bed around 9.30, 10 o'clock, which seems to be a pattern for, for individuals in my age group cohort, and I'm, I'm in our target demographic, which is women over the age of 40. Um, in any event, hopping into bed at 10 o'clock at night meant that by 3 a.m., I was wide awake because my sleep cycle is around six hours. Which yeah. is probably a decent amount of sleep for someone in my age group. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. The problem is waking up at three o'clock in the morning causes extreme anxiety because you're looking around. What do you do? You don't want to turn on the TV. You don't want to go online. You could pick up a book. The advice that we've received in the past is don't just lie in bed and ruminate over the day's activities. The better thing to do is actually get up and do something, and you know, then go back and, and try to get some rest. Instead, when I studied sleep restriction therapy, I would keep myself awake until at least 11 or 12, sometimes even midnight. My
1: normal waking hour is 6 a.m., so I would get six continuous hours of good sleep. Absolutely. And that is a feature in other countries, but I think there's a lot to be said for not getting up out of bed. Not all of us are stable on our feet at night in the dark and as we get older we lose our balance i tripped over my dog a week ago (laughs) yeah this is the point this whole this whole idea of getting up out of bed I, i i think much better idea is reclaiming the bed you know, it's quite Victorian. Beds only for sleep. I think a lot of people do a lot of other things in bed than sleep. And maybe we won't discuss them in this. this is a, that's a sex talk for another time. But I know a lot of people use the bed for sli- other reasons than sleep. So saying, oh, if you're not sleeping, get out of bed. Well, maybe that's... Become, I think that's a logic mismatch. Uh, so
0: the funny story that I, that I share is when I first had um, my child, um, my husband would put the... Um, the earplugs in his ears and he would wear a mask over his eyes. That lasted about the first six weeks because she was waking me up every two to three hours for her feedings. And at, at that point um, he leaned over because she was a little louder than normal uh, with screaming while I was doing the feeding and he said he was losing sleep over that. At that point I grabbed the mask, tore it off his head, and pulled out the plugs and stomped on them. And I said, now you can handle it.
1: <laughs> so
0: <laughs> I know firsthand experience. You want your sleep disrupted. This is a, this is an example of what not to do.
1: Absolutely. Well, but you know, you take it in turns terms, if you've got that situation, you know, get a couple of good night's sleep. Each of you has a, has a turn to do that. Um, there are lots of ways you can work your way through it. The most important thing is not to feel that you're stuck in a particular pattern that you can't change. There are lots of ways to disrupt it. We've talked about using medications in the in the short term. Um, you know, some people self-medicate with a little alcohol because it relaxes, but not too much. The other possibilities are cognitive behavioural therapy, a little bit about restricting sleep, about loving your bed. About using natural products, and we talked a little bit about that last time. But you know, tryptophans in a lot of products. Uh, so is uh, serotonin, GABA, GABA, mel- melatonin. They're all all these things can help sleep. Right. So when we look at when we look at some of those
0: additional options. I we we spend a little bit of time talking about what you know what are non-prescription. I don't necessarily want to say over-the-counter because. We know most people are purchasing products online today for convenience, right? Mm-hmm. So looking at some of the natural mm-hmm. ingredients like melatonin, like um, GABA, mm-hmm. um, and looking at theanine, B6, some of the B complex vitamins that are in some of the natural products. Again, there there is evidence that shows that melatonin will help. There is some, also some evidence that GABA and theanine may work it really becomes individualized, right? So I think what we're saying about sleep is you have to decide when you need to have some sleep support, how often you need that support, and the message that you use often is disrupt. You want to disrupt that to some degree because once your body becomes acclimated, things stop working. Absolutely. So you may need to shake things up, for lack of a better way to describe absolutely,
1: it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, in, in my bedside table next to me, I have a variety of things that I could use. I don't use them, but I know if I needed to, I could use them. And that gives me comfort when I go to bed and I can't, if I can't sleep, I think, oh, well, I've always got melatonin or something next to my bed or a sleeping tablet. I've got something next to the bed in case I want to try to go to sleep with something. And usually that's just the relaxation I need. Just the idea that if I can't really get to sleep, I have something that will help me.
0: You know, it's interesting that that um, that you share that we we all have our, our various strategies that have worked for us in the past. When when I was a kid, I remember that my parents would talk to us about prayer, and that was their way of being um, of meditating, right? So repetitively. Praying, if that's your thing, um, or repetitively thinking about something that brings you pleasure—thinking about a, uh, perhaps a beautiful um, vacation that you have had, lying on a beach, going to the mountains, at a lake, um, walking in a desert where you know you're exploring. Maybe those things brought you comfort. Maybe they brought you peace. So maybe revisiting those. But Finding some way in which to take yourself away from your current circumstance to help yourself to get into a better frame of mind.
1: Absolutely. And, and not, not all of it might be related to sleep by itself. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have physical conditions that keep them awake at night. You know, we're women, we're cyclic. After 40, we're going through the change. Our periods can be, you know, irregular. We can bleed a lot. We have to worry about flooding, uh, abdominal pain. Lots of us suffer from uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Hot and flashes. Hot flashes. So there are lots of physical things that can affect our sleep too. So it's not just all about sleep. So make sure when you are going to sleep that you've optimized all the other things. Am I itchy? Am I sore? Have I got abdominal cramps? Have I got a headache? Just all the other things—is my neck sore? All the things that you might need to think about that are not necessarily about switching on and off the sleep button in our brains.
0: So we, you know, we know that in our target audience, uh, we often hear from women who are having hot flashes, and we talk about keeping your environment comfortable, because that can disrupt your sleep, mm. and we know that it does. Mm. So there's a tremendous amount of evidence, um, scientific evidence, that demonstrates that when you're mm. having hot flashes, the need to shed clothing, to change the temperature in your room, may also compel you to wake in the middle of the night, and that is difficult because not everyone can fall back to sleep right away. So. There's some strategies that we can think about as it pertains to women who are at that point in their lives where they're perimenopausal, menopausal and experiencing hot
1: flashes. So the hot flashes are a really interesting problem and I don't know why I say problem because 10% of the population have hot flashes all their lives, men and women. Uh, and. If you're the one in ten that has it all your life, like I am,
0: or in chemical menopause, maybe yeah. you're a young woman, but you're taking some, using some th- therapy yeah. that puts you in a position where you're experiencing a hot flash.
1: The point also, though, about hot flashes is they are very good temperature control. Um, if you if you can regulate your temperature better by externalizing it in a hot flash, you're you're probably better at regulating your temperature at other times as well. Our society doesn't like people sweating and women aren't supposed to sweat. We're supposed to just gently perspire and men have to wear white T-shirts under their shirts so their armpits don't look sweaty. You know, we've got these kind of activities that say we have to be some kind of like in Victorian or 17th century France in the way we're supposed to dress and look when we go when we around. But really, it's okay to sweat. It's okay to perspire. And if you've got wet gear on, take it off there's no it's just perspiration and so feeling like you have to stay in it or if you have to change your sheets or maybe put a towel down or something you know it's a it's a phase and it will either continue or not and you will live with it through the phase I mean it is people do think it's disabling in meetings well I used to say I sweat a lot live with it
0: and there are strategies that you can use Obviously you want to make sure that your your room is at a temperature that um, is not excessive. Um, yeah. If you are you're know, wearing a lot of bed clothes when you go to bed, perhaps the better idea is not to dress yeah. so heavily when you go to bed or wear comfortable uh, perspiration wicking clothing when you go to bed. I wear a band t-shirt and a pair of yoga pants most of the time yeah. or gym shorts and that's comfortable for me and yeah. that seems to work. Yeah particularly as uh, a woman in the age group cohort, where a hot flash uh, is something that I would experience occasionally.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, if you want to wear your birthday suit, you're quite happy to wear your My birthday suit. My husband would be
0: just as happy for me not to have any clothing.
1: <laughs> That's a different story for a different <laughs> day. Right. Birthday suit indeed. So, yeah, clothing's important. Uh, uh, temperature control, not having hot, too hot drinks, not stimulate, stimulating... Vasodilation with vasodilatus, all those things can make a difference, but it's all right to have symptoms. You know, did you know most people have sixty symptoms a day? Sixty things. If you count how many things you've thought has happened in the day to you when you go to bed at night, or I saw a toe for a reason, I thought I had a headache, a flashing light. You know, if you think about it, the, the health survey show 60 a day. We could become completely neurotic if we had a health diary of the 60 things a day. You that could obsess over these. This would be absolutely. another reason to lose
0: sleep, is, is yeah. the obsessiveness over the day's activities, activities. right? Yeah, and, your, and your own health and well-being. So we, we've talked about a few things here. Um, meditation, mindfulness, sleep restriction therapy, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, whether you have the luxury of seeing a therapist in person or you can do it via telemedicine or perhaps to find an app that's really good and works for you. These are all strategies that may work. Looking at a more natural way in which to induce sleep by looking at some of the, um, the supplements that do not require a prescription, natural supplements like Valerian, and melatonin and chamomile, maybe drinking a cup of tea that has those same mm-hmm. types of ingredients. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to specifically recommend a particular product for sleep. It really comes down to your individual yeah. sleep issue and what you feel mo- most comfortable doing. But these are at least some ways in which you might think about how to get a better night's sleep and how to have more restful sleep. And again, it's not you know one size fits all. With sleep, eight hours per day may may be fine for someone that is a younger person. Um, it may not work for someone who is over the age of fifty, or sixty, or in the seventh decade of life. Um, and what about power naps? What What are your thoughts on power naps? I, we get sleepy in the it.
1: middle of the day. I love a power nap. That's you know even a, even a micro sleep, even if you're just a little bit tired, if you pop your head down, even 10 minutes can refresh you. And I think it's much better to have that 10 minute refresher than try to struggle through some fog in the, middle of your, in the middle of the day, particularly after lunch, because what happens when we eat is all the blood rushes to our guts. So it goes away from our head and it's madly trying to absorb all this food and all this nutrients and all the work is happening in the abdomen. And so, it's not surprising that after lunch we feel drowsy or sleepy, particularly if we have a, a, a lunch that takes a lot of digestion. So
0: what's, what's kind of funny about that is that we observe, um, and, and you know, after being in a corporate environment for most of my life, because um, it has been a disproportionate amount of my life, my colleagues would often grab that cup of coffee or espresso. About three o'clock in the afternoon so forget the power nap you know we were encouraged to use a stimulant whether it was coffee or a tea or a soda with a lot of caffeine and now we you know we have what we have our co- products that improve cognition even the, the ones that are um, considered non-prescription that improve cognition which are nothing more than stimulants with astronomical amounts of caffeine so Is it better to do a power nap or a micro nap, or to use something that helps to stimulate you for the rest of the afternoon? I can imagine that that just creates a vicious cycle.
1: Look, everything in moderation, and you do it the way that suits you. You know, there's a lot of evidence about caffeine, both good and bad, with coffee. So there's a lot of caffeine around in a lot of things we do, and it is a stimulant, but you can get used to it. Coffee doesn't keep me awake or well, certainly not American coffee. Maybe I shouldn't say that about Italian coffee. A small little doppo in uh, Italy can keep me awake for three days. <laughs> so it depends on, on the type of coffee you're having.
0: I love coffee, and I you know drink it liberally in the morning, and I was drinking it liberally in the afternoon just because I enjoy it. But I'm curious about its impact on my sleep later on. So I, uh, the curiosity has always been should I restrict my, you know, caffeine consumption? We talk about restriction of alcohol consumption because initially it helps you relax, but then it can actually disrupt your sleep. Does the same thing occur with caffeine? I guess it depends on the person and the way you uh, and the way you handle these types of. Again, these are natural considered natural products, but we always use caution when we talk about natural products in our in our particular circumstance with what we do as a consumer health company, but we also advise any of our listeners to think carefully about what that means and remembering as folks that have developed prescription products for years, we also know that natural products are often the source prescription products, so they are not without their consequences, which Absolutely. is why I raised the caffeine issue.
1: Well, you know, it's a, it's a common feature in this country of those those coffee stand that has the coffee sitting in it all day, and when coffee sits in it all day, it, the, the water goes away it, it it dehydrates and becomes stronger so if you 're the kind of person who makes a cup of a pot of coffee in the beginning of the day and just keeps on refilling your, your cup with it you 're going to get stronger and stronger coffee so you 're going to attenuate its effect anyway you 'll build it up, but you know if it 's just going to keep on working at the same level so If that's happening, you need to disrupt it and do something else. I do believe in a power nap. It's pretty tricky. You have to make sure you've got somewhere to have it. But if you can't have a power nap, a walk in the sun, because the sunlight will stimulate you again and, and, and wake up your eyes. And that's something we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about the eyes. The eyes like to be dark in sleep. And the reason they like to be dark is because the kind of way we see at night is through a particular... Process in the retina using cells called rods, and they only work in dark light. And in the daytime, we use cones, which work in bright light. We've twenty times more cones than we have rods, so we see much better in the day than we do at night. So darkness is pretty important, and I think we just have to add that to our list. Maybe think of coffee, maybe think of dark because it's black and that sort of stuff. Or dark. So yeah. So having thought about that, I mean, if I say that and I think about. one of the things, when I said that, made me think about people of colour and whether there any differences in terms of sleep patterns and sleep products. And there's been so little research, I wouldn't know if there's any real research about whether products work differently in, in people of different genetic backgrounds or people of different colour at all. So that's a, that's something that we really could do with some research on.
0: Absolutely. And we do know that there are um, racial um, and ethnic disparities in the way that, um, that we have developed products over time, the way we have researched products over time. It's a, it's a huge area of concern uh, for me in particular um, as a person that, that has some uh, also has some Ethiopian blood. Um, so we, we think about, you know, what is the difference? Do we absorb sunlight differently? We know that we do. Mm-hmm. We knew the darker skinned individuals do, but enough research. There hasn't been enough research um, that Absolutely. has been done in darker skinned individuals and or different ethnicities, yeah. and that could be. <coughs> excuse me, the next podcast. It may is well looking be looking at disparities in the way we approach
1: consumer products as well as prescription products. Oh, that's opening up a huge area to talk about, Jerry. but it's been, it's been great talking with you today. Likewise, likewise, it always is. Yeah.
0: Thank you to our listeners, and remember, love, via vita, take good care.